Hello and welcome to Westover's Leftovers, a weekly podcast following our Advent series, Perfect Christ. Everyone loves Sunday dinner, but what's even better is being able to enjoy leftovers from that dinner throughout the week. On Westover's Leftovers, we'll be talking with our pastors and guest speakers to dive deeper into their sermons and also to learn about their Sunday leftovers, parts that didn't quite make the cut for Sunday sermon, but are still good enough to enjoy throughout the week. I'm your host, Kaylin Pierce, and this week I'm joined by Westover's local missions pastor, Chris Shelton. Today's podcast is a bit different than our normal structure. Typically, we record the week after the sermon has been given, but because of the holidays and time off work, we're recording this a week before Christmas. So Merry Christmas, Westover, and Merry Christmas, Pastor Chris. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Merry Christmas. All right, Pastor Chris. So I know a lot of people are going to be traveling over the holidays, and it seems like Christmas is not complete without a holiday mishap or something to that effect. Um, do you have any holiday mishap stories for us? Oh my, do I have some stories. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was thinking about uh, and preparing for what to share uh, Christmas Eve. I, I, I was remembering, I think it was our, our fourth year of marriage. Uh, Molly and I were um, living in Eastern North Carolina. Both of our families lived in different parts of the state um, in driving distance. And so most people would say, hey, you still live kind of close, but Uh, We were living in a little town called Wilson, my family close to Greensboro, and Molly's family in Boone. Um, And we made our mind up at that particular year because both of our families come from just these rich or have these rich uh, Christmas holiday traditions, and we weren't going to miss anything. And so we were going to be the all-star couple who made it to everything. We weren't going to be the lame couple who stopped, you know, coming to Christmas gatherings because of whatever lame excuse. Now, I need to say that this is before children, or as I call it, B.C., Um, However, we were still convinced at the time that we were going to set the standard and show people how it was done and and how you could be everywhere. Even though we weren't omnipresent, we were going to do our best uh, to do so. So just really quickly, um, that that year, I think it was Christmas Eve Eve, two days before Christmas, we made our way to my my parents' house. My mom hosts a family gathering uh, for our uh, larger family helped clean up, spent the night there, got up the next day, made a four-hour drive to a little town in the middle of the uh, western North Carolina mountains called Bakersville to spend Christmas with Molly's grandmother and uncle, Um, and then uh, turned around that night, drove four hours back to my parents' house, jumped in a car, drove 30 minutes uh, uh, from there further to the church that I grew up in for an 11 p.m. Christmas Eve service that finished after midnight, made the 30-minute drive back home, took a nap, uh, about 6 a.m., my sister and her family come busting through the door, uh, ready to open presents um, and have a big breakfast. And then by this point, Molly and I are feeling a little bit nauseous. We decided to, um, we're, we're at that point, we you know we got cleaned up, uh, made the 30-minute drive back to my, my grandmother's house, had a big lunch, open presents. Um, one detail about Christmas is that Christmas is my wife's birthday. Uh, so in the midst of all of this running around on Christmas Day, we would have birthday cakes for Molly and Jesus <laughs> in addition to um, uh, opening birthday presents and singing happy birthday multiple times. And then from my grandmother's house, we made the three-hour drive from there to Boone uh, to spend Christmas evening with my wife's family and their infamous um, progressive dinner around Boone that would then finish at uh, her, her grandparents' house. And then after that, we would go to her parents' house, open presents, spend the night, get up, eat a big breakfast, turn around and head back to my parents for a family reunion. I have no idea why anybody would do a family reunion on December 26th. My family did. And then we would spend the night, get up the next day, head back to Boone to 
spend the next few days with Molly's family. Basically, all we did at that point was crash before eventually making our way back to uh, Wilson. And the whole point of all of that is that that was our attempt to make Christmas perfect. And that was the last time that we ever did that. We were <laughs> exhausted and frustrated. We made things way more complicated and realized that we weren't as awesome as we thought we were. I'm exhausted and impressed. <laughs> that, 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 that's an exhausting story. I'm sure I missed the <laughs> <some> details. <laughs> wow, impressive. Now, because we're recording this ahead of time, I haven't had the pleasure of hearing your sermon yet, but uh, I hear that you'll be preaching from John 1, um, which I find super interesting. Usually the, the classic Luke is used for Christmas. So I'd love to hear why you're using John 1. Yeah, well... You know, as, as we've built uh, this series uh, for the last four weeks, um, it just, you know, really spending some time praying about and contemplating the perfect Christ. Um, you know, I, I find it interesting, given John's perspective uh, on the life of Jesus, that most likely because John's gospel was written last, John knew the stories. He knew the, he knew the birth narratives. He knew Luke's um, account. He knew Matthew's account. Uh, but John chooses to paint an even bigger picture, an even more broad picture that of just how cosmic this event was of Jesus coming into the world. And so the idea of the perfect Christ uh, is something that is uh, beautiful and, and small enough to, pull, to behold in the, in the manger of Bethlehem. And at the same time, it is um, it's cosmic. It's, it's ultimate. It's supreme. Uh, it, it changes everything. And so, um, you know, John, I think John's perspective in, in particular is, is quite interesting in making sure that we understand that Emmanuel, uh, the Jesus, the babe that was born in Bethlehem is the God of the, of the universe who spoke all things into existence and has always existed as the preexistent one. Wow. I've never really thought about I don't know. You tend to, I think, kind of, you know, think about baby Jesus at mm -hmm. Christmas, and you can kind of forget that part of it as well. That he has always been. This isn't the first time Jesus has shown up on the scene. He's not. He's not the. He's not simply the eight pounds six ounce, uh, you know, baby Jesus that uh, <laughs> you know, is referred to in, you know, certain movies or you know, oftentimes that we, you know, Jesus isn't in like the manger and, and the and the tomb are both empty. Right. Um, those are those are huge, significant historical events, um, and and they lay an important foundation and groundwork for how we understand who Jesus is, um, and the um, the magnitude of the um, uh, salvific power that is found in the the Word made flesh. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Pastor Chris, I know that you like myself are a talker. You love to chat. So I know that something has been cut from this sermon. Uh, is there anything that you would like to let us know that got cut, but is still important for us to, to know? Yeah, you know, believe it or not, you know, I, I've had to cut something, uh, a few things out of this, <laughs> uh, you know, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one, I understand that everybody's mind, uh, even at a Christmas Eve service, is on, hey, you know, getting home and maybe family gatherings for kids, you know, getting to bed on time and all of the excitement that they get to look, get to look forward to the next day. So uh, obviously a lot of things that need to be cut. So nobody's going to be able to sit there through a 45 minute sermon on a, on a Christmas Eve. Um, but one of the things that, that I'm going to be speaking on um, 
uh, this Friday is, is just touching on the, the implications of what's known as the incarnation. Incarnation comes from the Latin incarnate. We get that from the, uh, the Vulgate, which is the, the Latin interpretation uh, and m most often referred to as the Catholic interpretation of the, of the New Testament scriptures. And uh, the, the idea of the incarnation describes the phenomenon of, of the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, uh, becoming fully human and fully God. Uh, J.I. Packer um, famously uh, said that the, the incarnation is, is really the supreme miracle or the supreme mystery of the gospel. Um, it, it only the the resurrection and the crucifixion really match the the, the supremacy or the the mystery uh, rather of uh, the idea of the incarnation. And so it's just it's really interesting. You know, we we think about it, we hear about that, and it's a lot to absorb um, in in a short period of time. And 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 I, and I always want to take time to kind of explain things out. I don't want people to accept things at, at face value because that's typically how I approach things. That's how I listen. I'm, I'm, I'm a very skeptical learner. I, I don't, I like to ask the question, why? Why was that? I'd really like to wrestle with those types of things. And so as it relates to the incarnation, uh, we just don't have time to cover the history of um, the, the wrestling that uh, really took place among early followers of Jesus and in and early Christians in the early church to be able to understand or basically to grapple with this mystery. And I, I said to you before we started recording uh, that, you know, if it took the church hundreds of years uh, to, to be able to do this, we might be able to scratch the surface in a couple of weeks, but we definitely won't be able to touch on it um, uh, deeply enough in a, in a 30 minute sermon on a, on a Christmas Eve. But, you know, interestingly, I think John's gospel, um, it, it would seem, and some scholars suggest that John in his prologue and, and through his gospel is actually beginning to refute um, the controversy or debates that were already springing up about the, uh, about the incarnation or the incarnational um, existence of Christ, him being fully God and fully man. And I think what's interesting about this is that, you know, when you when you walk through uh, all of the Gospels, the synoptics, which are Matthew, uh, Mark and Luke, and then you walk through John, um, you really begin to see just how human Jesus was. And I think that's part of the part of the mystery is that Jesus was so human that many people who knew and lived and worked with him for 30 years, um, they saw how extraordinary he was. And at the same time, they saw how human he was. And so as, uh, but at the same time, the, his, his divinity being fully God housed in um, human flesh um, is um, sort of described in a heavier theological uh, term called the hypostatic union. And hypostatic is basically the substance under hypostatic or hypostasis, um, which is this way of just combining the um, perfect existence, the full existence of God into um, a, a full human being. Jesus was not half God and half man. He was fully God and fully man. And again, this is, this is, a, this is a mystery that the early church grappled with, and John may be refuting that in, in part of his gospel or clearing up claims. But as, as time goes on and the early church continues to develop, um, this uh, controversy heightens in something called uh, the Arian controversy, um, which happens in the, uh, uh, the mid um, fourth century uh, AD. Um, this is uh, spurred by 
um, a priest and presbyter um, in northern Africa called uh, Arius. And uh, his claims were basically that uh, Jesus could not be preexistent. Uh, he was, in fact, uh, created by God. And, and part of the reason why this controversy started to stir was out of what's called the First Ecumenical Council of the Church. This was the Council of Nicaea, which was around 325 A.D. And the Council of Nicaea was the beginnings of or, or the, the beginnings or the writings of that would eventually become the Nicene Creed uh, were beginning to be laid out. And of course, part of the argument in the Nicene Creed, and we see this also in the uh, in, in the Apostles Creed uh, was developed out of that is uh, this idea that uh, Jesus is uh, fully God and fully man. And this is what uh, Arius and his followers began to refute. Um, well, it hundred, you know, it, hundreds of years, this, these um, debates continued, um, and uh, Michael Carter's boy, Athanasius, uh, steps into the scene. <laughs> He's a key figure in refuting these claims. Uh, but after Arius uh, dies, after uh, Athanasius dies, um, the Council of Chalcedon, uh, which is 451 AD, and I can't remember, that's maybe the fourth, third or fourth, maybe fifth council of the church. I should know that. I'm looking at my notes here, but I don't have it written down. Um, basically affirms, uh, settles the debate uh, once and for all in the church that Jesus is both divine and he is both human. He is fully one or the other. Uh, and, and the reason why this argument becomes so critically important is um, because one of the questions that the early church was wrestling with is that you know when all the smoke of the controversies were cleared, the one predominant question that came to the surface is this, can we rise to God or does God have to come down to us and save us? If we can mm. rise to God, we don't need a savior. Um, if we can rise to God, then basically that means that, that Jesus didn't have to be who he was. Um, but because of the depravity of our, of our sin nature, um, our inability to rise to God, God comes to us and he comes to us perfectly in Christ, born of a virgin, which essentially means that the, the sin line is broken. And so the, the doctrine of the, uh, of the miracle of the virgin birth was, was heavily argued and fought for during this particular time in order to continue to help present and understand based on what we have in preserved in God's word is that this is the importance. This is why Jesus had to be fully God and fully man, because otherwise um, he would not be um, a, a savior that could essentially save us fully, completely and perfectly. Um, you know, again, I, even in that explanation of us recording this, it's just scratching the surface. I think that the history of this is so rich. It's so... Um, necessary to um, uh, kind of circle back to of just appreciating that the the wrestling that um, believers, the church, scholars, theologians have done over the centuries um, that have continued to not not just simply preserve um, our faith, but to continue to uh, present it, um, it with all of its mysteries in a way where, listen, faith is coming to a place where I believe, even though I don't fully and completely understand. And I think that goes back to what Packer is saying is that, man, yeah, the incarnation, it's, it's one of the, um, it's one of the supreme mysteries of the gospel. And yet we believe in it, uh, because, um, uh, 
not not by what we can continue to um, you know come to conclusions with as far as our intellectual um, capacities are are concerned, but believing by faith that um, I don't have to completely understand all of it in in order for it to be true. That's great. Thank you so much. All right, Pastor Chris, as we wind up, uh, because the podcast is called Westovers Leftovers, we would love to know what your favorite leftovers are. Yeah, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this a completely opposite uh, direction from where I think earlier um, uh, interviewees have uh, have taken it. I, I love leftovers. Um, I'm not really discriminant when it comes to leftovers. So I, I can't can't remember who it was. It was Chris Hardy that was just talking about he didn't like leftovers at right. all. And I then he goes in, and then just you know in in Chris Hardy fashion goes into uh, an exposition on leftovers that he actually liked. <laughs> then he comes back and says I don't like leftovers. So I was just really confused by that and and have all sorts of questions about Chris Hardy. But anyway, <laughs> I love him. Um, so I yeah I don't I'm not really discriminant when it comes to that. But I, I know that last week. Uh, Pastor Myron said that he liked pizza and he liked it cold. I, you know, something that I've come across in the last couple of years is that, you know, I I always microwaved a a slice of pizza, you know, as as leftover and that was good. But my wife showed me the art of putting pizza back in the oven on one of those, um, what do you call the stone, um, baking stone things. Oh yeah. And like where the crust gets crispy all over again. And so to me, like I, I almost like pizza better warmed up that way than I do uh, the first time, which is really good. I have never thought of doing that. Yeah. This is a hot take right here. It's I mean, you know, when, when you when you're able to crunch into the crust uh, if, of leftover pizza, <laughs> there is there's something spiritual about that. Um, <laughs> I will say too, and this is kind of this is kind of odd, but um, any kind of Asian fusion type food, um, I'm normally the only person in my house that will eat that as leftovers, and I love it, especially if you got all the sauces yep. still to you know to add to it. Uh, to me, that's that's really good. But all that to say, I'm getting really hungry thinking about uh, all of the leftovers I could eat. Uh, I don't I don't discriminate when it comes to leftovers. Uh, I think leftovers are good and sometimes better than the than the first serving. I agree. Well, thank you for chatting with us, Pastor Chris, and maybe we'll uh, catch you on our spinoff podcast, uh, Life Hacks with Pastor Chris and Molly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We'll we'll be starting season one coming soon. Great. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Caitlin.